Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and this is your 154th video cast, 144th podcast for the week ending September 29th, 2022. A long day was in the city to do an in-studio with Yahoo Finance. As a matter of fact, we're going to kick off this video cast podcast with the seven-minute in-studio uh, interview because it really encompasses all my thoughts in this kind of... Uh, uh, volatile week we've had and how I see it playing out over the next three months. So if you want the Cliff's Notes version of this video cast, listen to the next seven minutes and then go watch the, uh, the hockey games. But, um, here we go. Well, I, you know, first off, we're in a period of seasonal weakness. So September is the worst month of the year, and this happens to be the worst week of the worst month of the year. So there's max pessimism. It does remind me a bit of June when we were coming into earnings season. There was mass, max pessimism. Estimates were, expectations were extremely low. Uh, we have a very similar situation right now. Uh, earnings growth is expected to be just 3.2% for Q3. Uh, prices have doubled more than that. So you're effectively looking at negative earnings growth, and the economy uh, just doesn't look like it's going to go that way. So it sets up for a positive surprise into year end. We're also going into the election, and the likelihood based on the data is that there's going to be gridlock after November 8th. That, too, can be bullish for the stock market. It means no new taxes. It means no, no new regulation. Uh, and the market likes that. Regardless of who's in, in the executive branch, it's good to have gridlock. Uh, the less that gets done, the more Wall Street likes it. Looking like the Republicans take the House and Democrats hang on to the Senate. All this pessimism going around, do you share it? I don't. You know, I look at the, the way managers are positioned, okay? We've got the, the highest cash levels uh, since the pandemic lows, since March of 2009, since the tech wreck. Usually when things get to this level of extremes, it's, it, it's a market turning point. And we just don't know what that catalyst is going to be. What we have seen is central banks around the world blinking. So uh, the ECB, they came out with that facility to buy Italian bonds on the periphery. Uh, you saw Bank of England have to buy gilts. Uh, and the question is, when is the Fed going to be next? And, the, and the, the key thing here we have to keep in mind, uh, Chair Powell has this idea that he wants to be Paul Volcker. The difference between Paul Volcker and today is when Paul Volcker was raising rates, the debt to GDP was at 30%. Today, we're at 122%. So for every 1% he increases the Fed funds rate, that adds $285 billion to the deficit. Uh, so it becomes unsustainable. And sooner or later, like all politicians, they get disciplined by the credit markets. Uh, and when, when municipalities and companies have to refinance and the government has to refinance and the interest costs become unsustainable, they'll have to back off. We've just come off of three emergency hikes of 75 basis points. In the last, since 1983, you've had about 88 hikes. Uh, 75 of them were below 50 basis points. So what we've done is pretty material, and we have to kind of just take a pause and see how that works. And as we sort of wait for some of these things, these things to work their way through the real economy, Tom, what looks attractive to you right now? As a lot of people are wondering if the Fed risks over-tightening. Uh, there's no question they, they risk over-tightening, that's for sure. Uh, one of the groups that we like that's kind of less sensitive to the uh, interest rates, although people think it is sensitive, uh, is biotech. And the last tightening cycle we had, uh, in anticipation of it, the biotech group dropped about 50% from 2015 to early 2016. Uh, over the next two years, while the Fed was increasing the Fed funds rate from uh, basically zero to 250, uh, you saw that group recover about 130% off the lows. 
we're seeing the two key catalysts start to work out. That is major deal activity we've seen since May. It cooled off a little bit in the fall with rates uh, and major drug activity yesterday being the biggest with Biogen. That's huge for Alzheimer's. And we're going to see more investment and more excitement come into the sector that has been really left for dead and very few people are focused on right now. Despite the, the 56% move off the May lows, we're now consolidating. I think as you look out over the next one to two years, Rochelle, uh, there's opportunity there. Tom, what do you make of what's been happening in the tech sector and the selling that we're seeing there? Once again, we're seeing a lot of these larger cap tech names lead to the downside today. Apple, Amazon, Meta, Google, among the worst performers in today's market. What's it going to take to stop some of the bleeding there? Yeah, it really is a function of rates, and it it really is going to be a question of when the Fed blinks. And and what we need to see is some better inflation data. We need to see employment cooling. This morning didn't help, but we'll see the jobs report coming up real soon. Uh, And once you see some stabilization in rates and the dollar, you know, one of the key things that I look at, Shauna and Dave, is the weekly commitments of traders report. And I look at the commercial hedgers because they're always right and they're always early. And what we're seeing is the commercial hedgers are the most short the dollar that they've been in a long time. Uh, They're most long the 10-year treasury than they've been in a long time. Uh, And they're long S&P futures. Uh, They've been right. And if you look at the last five peaks and troughs for those instruments, it's always preceded major market turns. So I don't know if it's in the next two days or the next two weeks, but I I think within the next two months is realistic. And I would I would say if you're going into the end of the year excessively pessimistic, you know, there's there's really no one left to sell. The National Association of Active Investment Managers today came in at 12.86 percent equity exposure. They were at 11 percent at the pandemic lows when we didn't know if we'd have a vaccine for four years. Uh, So so I look at things, active investment, uh, the Association of Individual Investors. At 20% bullish, that's consistent with pandemic lows, great financial crisis lows. And I really don't think we're in a situation like the pandemic where the uncertainty was that high or like the great financial crisis where banks were in a bad shape. Banks are in a very good shape right now. The action in the 10-year, we mentioned it earlier. What's it telling you is around the corner? Well, you know, it's... It's pricing in that the Fed is going to keep going on autopilot. And the last time we heard autopilot was December of 2018, when Powell came in and made his first mistake of three major mistakes uh, and crashed the market 16.5% within a couple of weeks right before Christmas. Mnuchin had to call up six banks and get a liquidity line. Uh, Five days later, Chair Powell backtracked. He walked back his language on that autopilot. Within three months, we were at new, new market highs. Uh, last year, when inflation was at uh, uh, you know, 4%, GDP estimates were at 3.8% for this year. They thought 10 basis points made a lot of sense, and inflation was transitory. Now that GDP is at 0.2% collapsing, inflation is coming down. They think 4.6% makes a lot of sense. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Uh, you know, they're, they're working. They're forgetting about the lagged effect of monetary policy. And I think the credit markets will let them know very, very quickly, just like Bank of England, they will walk back or they will pause. And that will be very, very bullish for equities, including tech. And Tom, as you look at some of the stickier parts of inflation, when do you expect those to start subsiding? Yeah, you know, that's going to take some time. If you look at post-World War II was the last time we had debt to GDP this high, over 120 percent. And what they basically did was they talked hawkish and they act dovish, very similar to what they're doing today. And they they did run inflation above trend about three to five percent. 
uh, over the five years uh, following World War II. And what you saw was uh, debt to GDP drop from 120% down to 63% uh, in just a handful of years by running inflation above trend. The key thing about the Fed where they've been right is that hawkish talk has brought down five-year inflation break-evens from 359 in March to 237 yesterday. So they're anchoring those long-term expectations. They are succeeding with the language. Now they just need to ease up a little bit on the action. They've got a little bit too much the last three hikes. Is uh, You might kill the patient with too much medicine. And now I want to thank uh, Taylor Clothier, Sydney. Freed, Shauna Smith, David Briggs, and Rochelle Akufo for having me on that Yahoo segment. That was fun to be in studio again uh, for the second time. And want to thank uh, Sarah, uh, Alicia Nieves, and Vince Molinari for having me on Finance TV uh, on Tuesday to discuss the Fed and others. So these you should go through at your leisure. We're not going to spend time on that now. I also want to thank Sarah Al-Qaidi and Marianne Star Inike for having me on CNA Asia. That's like the Bloomberg of Asia. They're out of Singapore. Uh, Not the Bloomberg, the uh, BBC, rather. I want to thank um, Phil Yin and Dalel Pektas for having me on CGT in America on Friday night uh, to discuss the Fed and Outlook. And then I want to thank Aaron Bry for having me on Benzinga on Friday afternoon to discuss... Uh, Fed walkback, positioning, my investment philosophy, and uh, and my background in the hedge fund industry. This was really interesting. This was off the cuff. He called me literally 15 minutes beforehand. Uh, had to uh, do a quick shave, and uh, and uh, and and we kind of let it rip. So uh, hope a lot of you find that valuable. There was some information in there. People looking to get into finance and uh, et cetera, et cetera, which may be helpful for many of the younger listeners. I also want to thank uh, Ellen Chang for including me in her article on biotech this week. Definitely want to check that out uh, at thestreet.com. And uh, we'll start with our quote of the week, which is Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor, is a realist who sells to the optimists and buys from the pessimists. Well, there are no optimists this week, so... Uh, you'd be buying from pessimists and you'd probably be well served in doing so, uh, assuming that you're buying high quality at a reasonable valuation. And we'll talk about some of that. And then uh, second quote for this week, which I think is very appropriate. Don't worry about looking good. Worry about achieving your goals. And that's really the whole name of the game. When you step back and you own high quality businesses uh, and they've gone a little bit against you, what you have to ask yourself is this. You know, one, two, three years out, is this business going to be smaller or bigger than it is today? Number one. And number two, irrespective of price, has my ownership percentage in the company changed? And that's really what it comes down to. If you owned an apartment building with a few partners, a hundred units, and you own 25%, uh, and you know, you go through a recession and your vacancy rate goes up to 10%. You know, would you sell that apartment building at 50% off just because it's temporarily impaired due to a slowdown? Uh, or would you say, well, three years from now, it's going to be back at, uh, you know, 5% vacancy, number one. And number two, the rents will probably be about 20 or 30% higher. And my 20% stake uh, on the basis of the leverage could be worth another 40, 50, 60% more than it is today. Well, In the stock market, it seems like more people want to sell when it's 50% down than take the long-term view. 
uh, or they just haven't done the work to know that they own a quality asset. Um, and uh, and you th- should think about it no differently than that, irrespective of uh, whether, you know, Jay Powell wants to be a big boy and, and pretend to be Volcker, uh, which is not going to be tenable because Volcker was raising rates when debt to GDP was 30% and he could raise them as high as he wanted with no real consequence. Uh, whereas uh, Powell uh, either didn't get the memo or is aware of it, uh, and it's just posturing to bring down long-term inflation expectations, which he's been very successful about doing, uh, because you know you simply at 122% debt to GDP, that's where you get caught up. So as you saw in the uh, live Yahoo studio, a couple market stuff: uh, why rush, sell Russia Zana and buy Yom Kippur trade uh, is a tough call. Well, that seems to be on track. As a matter of fact, I just looked up Yom Kippur is next Tuesday. And the old uh, axiom is that, um, you know, you sell, which Rosh Hashanah was earlier this week, and then you buy because they're supposed to get rid of worldly goods, etc. And then you buy Yom Kippur, which is next Tuesday. And that kind of sets up pretty well uh, in terms of how pessimistic things are becoming. Uh, and some type of resolution. And, and I think many people are looking at a situation where, um, first off, um, as I said in the segment, September is the worst, worst month of the year statistically. And this week is the worst week of the worst month of the year statistically. And that has held true in spades this year for sure. Um, uh, but, th- but then it gets better from there. And I think most people, because of the, uh, 1987 and because of the, uh, famous crashes that have happened in October's think that October is going to be worse, but the facts just don't bear that out. And I could see a situation where everyone's waiting for the next shoe to drop and October winds up being a little better than expected, similar to how we were set up going into June earnings with expectations very low, uh, and a lot of, uh, positive upside. So, uh, that may be very, uh, hold very true. Wharton's Jeremy Siegel accuses the Fed of making one of the biggest policy mistakes in its 110 year history. I agree. I posted some of the videos, uh, from Friday and then he was back on Monday. And, um, uh, and, and I think I've been pretty, uh, explicit in the one, two, three, four, five, uh, media appearances, which have been thematic about the Fed this week that that's the case. Now, uh, Kramer put out this chart from Larry Williams and Larry Williams is a technician that's been around. He's been around for, uh, uh, you know, like 50 years. And, um, he uses this timing solution software, which we have. Um, and, uh, basically what he's showing is how if you overlay the current inflation cycle to 1980. And also, by the way, if you do it to 1974, which we talked about in the article of the week, uh, there's a high correlation that it's going to roll over and it's going to roll over imminently. And that would also be consistent with his view uh, that we were going to take another leg down to retest and then uh, be off to the races into year end. I mean, that's a normal seasonality. But I also just think, as I said uh, this afternoon at, at the Yahoo studio, is there are no sell- sellers left. We hit, you know, 12.68% uh, equity exposure for the National Association of Active Investment Managers. We haven't gotten that low since the pandemic lows. So um, while the these metrics that I keep referencing don't cause the stock market to go up, eventually what they represent 
is that you basically run out of sellers when the cash levels get that high and any good news that people aren't prepared for, it just creates a panic buy-in. And what's beautiful is after today's reversal, no one's going to believe the next big move. So if you get a 500% 500 point move again next week after Yom Kippur or God knows what these days you got to count on to to get a turn in the market, but uh um no one's going to believe it and that's the conditions precedent for it to keep going cuz people continue to disbelieve it disbelieve it, the wall of worry, and then finally they'll be forced to capitulate and then you'll just have a, a tidal wave of liquidity come into the markets and it could be on a very little headline. It's just, when sentiment changes, it changes quick. I mean, for for heaven's sake, Loretta Mester, you're like, really? That's what caused the market to crash today? Like, you know, the, the Fed president of Cleveland? Uh, I don't think so. It's just this normal volatility, this chop until something changes. And as was the case in June, it was earnings. And I think that'll be the case today uh, moving forward into earnings. Because if you think about plus 3% earnings growth for Q3, prices have doubled that. So if if all they did was keep pace with prices, uh, you'd be looking at 6%. God forbid they actually had a, any underlying growth because of the $5 trillion of liquidity that's still in the system, which everyone keeps forgetting about because we've rate, you know hiked rates 3, 3%. Um, uh, you know, the implication is that you've had negative 3% real earnings growth, which I just simply don't think was the case in Q3. So you should see a lot of upside beats. Uh, and like even Nike, who, you know, uh, reported after the bell I was listening to, um, they did better than expected in China. I think it was like they were supposed to be down like 15 to 20% in China. They, they were down 11% or something to that effect. So, um, Tom Lee's out, uh, if you can guess, he's bullish, uh, sticking with his year-end stock market for- forecast, and his basis is, he says, Fed could do far less tightening as the, uh, as the market is doing in the Fed's work, if you look at the two-year yield, uh, he's absolutely right about that. He's keeping it at 5,100, uh, bold, baby, but, uh, you know, as manic as it's been to the downside, that would be surprising, but not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I could definitely see 47, 4,800 if, uh, again, remember going into Q2 earnings, everyone said that estimates were going to come down by 20%. That was consensus. They came down, uh, like 2% during the earnings season. They're now down 3%. Going into this earnings season, they're all saying they're coming down 20%. You know, what these analysts, are not accustomed to is an inflationary environment where while, you know, general inflation, call it, you know, mid single digits, some of these companies use the opportunity to raise prices much more. And even though that's nominal gains, that's still, it's still denominated in dollars, which is EPS, which means that earnings probably grew, uh, not adjusted for inflation, actual as reported, uh, much, much more than people expected because inflation was much more than, uh, you know, normal. Okay. You know, six versus two, that's going to add a lot to the bottom line. And I think people are underestimating that. Uh, and I think people are under, you know, everyone's put through, uh, price increases by now and we'll just set, reset at this new plateau and inflation won't go up at the same pace. Uh, but prices are not going back down. They're just going to go up less quickly. And most likely, like post-World War II, in a 3 to 5% range for the next few years to bring down debt to GDP by design. Um, 
moving forward. So what Lee is saying here is that, um, which by the way, he's calling for 37%, maybe 39% after today rally into year end. Uh, the idea that forward-looking indicators show inflation is indeed beginning to cool off and will lead to a less hawkish Federal Reserve in 2023, contrary to Powell's most recent comments, our continuing analysis shows leading indicators point to disinflationary deflation, Lee said, highlighting the ongoing decline in the Mannheim Used Vehicle Index, which we've covered, a recent commentary from FedEx Costco Management about falling prices and lower oil prices, plus we've talked about inventory builds in recent video casts. Uh, inflation is dropping like a rock. The Fed could do far less tightening as the market is doing the Fed's work. Take a step back. If inflation by December 2023 is 2.8% and the Fed funds is uh, 4.6, this could be viewed by investors as constructive. After all, monetary policy by then is already restrictive and there would be room to cut rates. Uh, that's December 2022. This was a typo by the um, uh, business insider. Uh, U.S. corporates remain resilient. Fourth quarter, well ahead of the... Okay. Uh, real, resiliency by both businesses and the U.S. consumer was on full display in Costco's fourth quarter earning results, which revealed comparable same-store sales growth of nearly 14%, well ahead of 12.5% estimate. Now, if you adjust that to inflation, you could say, no, that you know that's only 10 or 8, but it doesn't matter. You get credit for it on the top line and the bottom line. So uh, when you're in the Goldilocks range, 3 to 5%, if we start to get into, you know, if we reaccelerate to double digits, then it's, you know, all bets are off, but that, that's not going to happen. So um, finally, investor sentiment is rock bottom and worse than great financial crisis by some metrics. We've covered those metrics. It goes to AAI sentiment. There are greed shoots. So we agree with him. Uh, Kalanovic was out saying the same thing at, at JP Morgan, and he uh, is viewing that uh, US PMI is in contraction territory at 49. Uh, therefore, the phase of strong payrolls will likely move behind us. We'll see in the jobs report next Friday. That could be a big deal. Tomorrow, we get PCE inflation. It's backward looking, but you know, God forbid we actually get a number that comes in lower than e- e- expectations. Uh, that could, that could also be a positive catalyst. We'll see. Not holding our breath on that. Um, and then finally, uh, peak inflation combined with attractive equity valuations and extremely distressed investor positioning suggest a market bottom could be imminent. We agree. He also cites the AAII, the, the fear and greed, which we covered in our article this week. And instead, according to Kalanovic, a dovish Fed pivot could be the catalyst that sparks the market higher over the next few months. It should be increasingly probable that the next few months could see some dovish tilt by the Fed. That would help drive another tactical bounce for growth stocks, according to the note. And we agree. And, you know, right now, very few people can see that. But, you know, two days ago, very few people could see the BOE capitulating and buying bonds. The credit market always dictates the policymakers and the politicians sooner or later. This time will be absolutely no different. Banks have to, uh, you know, not only do the, does the government have to refinance, but businesses have to refinance, municipalities have to refinance, and uh, and these levels are simply unsustainable. Uh, moving on to China updates, uh, casino shares gain on hopes of renewed tourism in Macau, so they're lightening those restrictions. Uh, there was one day they were all up like 29% early in the week, Melco Crown, and we, we've got the whole basket, Melco, Vegas, Sands, and Wynn. 
Uh, Alibaba is pouring a billion dollar into cloud computing. The move is critical for its growth. We've covered this 36% of share. The sector, according to McKinsey, is going to double in the next two years. That could be $20, $30 billion to Alibaba's bottom line. So they are investing to retain and probably gain share. Uh, China's five years behind the U.S. in digitization. It's a big story. Oh, and by the way, uh, they're trading at $225 billion. They got $100 billion of current assets. So then you're basically paying $125 for the cloud business, which could do $20 billion bottom line five times. That's way too low, particularly with the growth rate. Oh, and you get an e-commerce business that's uh, basically free. I met, I had uh, dinner uh, and lunch in the last week with this uh, huge um, uh, developers from Istanbul, Turkey. And one of them was telling me that... Um, uh, the business that Alibaba has that they bought in Turkey is just crushing it. Like they are, they're growing like 23, 24, 25% a year top line. Uh, and they're going to be aggressively expanding in, in surrounding nations very, very soon. So that was nice to hear while everyone's pessimistic. Uh, they continue to grow outside of China as well as inside of China. Uh, earlier this week, this, uh, this in my view is the canary in the coal mine. Fed Evans says he's getting a little nervous about going too far too fast with rate hikes. Even Kashkari, who was Captain Dove last year when inflation was quote unquote transient. Now all of a sudden he's super hawk. He also voiced concerns about going too fast. Uh, but you know, he's gunning for the job and he wants to pretend that he was on the right side of the trade both times. And, uh, as we know, it, you know, sadly wasn't the case. And, you know, look, it happens to all of us, uh, you know, myself included, for sure. Uh, Russia to annex more of Ukraine on Friday at the Kremlin. So people, you know, this is kind of bad news for sure, obviously. Uh, but if you look at what they're annexing is the Russia separatist region of uh, Luhansk and Donetsk, uh, which we said when this started in January that, you know, sooner or later, that's how, how this was probably going to end. They were going to get those two areas that identified as Russian, uh, and then uh, it was going to call it a day. The question is, how many billions of dollars in lives would be lost in the process? Well, so far, it's tens of thousands of lives and probably hundreds of billions of dollars, and the end result may wind up being the same. While they won't be recognized for this annexation, as uh, they said would be the case with Crimea, ultimately that stuck. And in this case, I think if Putin, you know, it's like the golden bridge in uh, Sun Tzu, The Art of War. You have to give the enemy a way to save face when they lose. And Russia has certainly lost with this, the amount of lives, the amount of treasure. They did not count on NATO unifying and basically fighting Russia uh, through Ukraine as a proxy, uh, giving them weapons and giving them money. Um, but if Putin was clever... What he would actually do is declare annexation of these two regions tomorrow, uh, which very few would argue, certainly Donetsk and Luhansk uh, identify as Russian. Uh, and then he would say, that's it, we're done. Uh, you know, we, we started this in order to assimilate those people who identified with the motherland or whatever he wants to say in some grandiose speech. Uh, and uh, our mission has been accomplished. And uh, and we will we will not be pursuing uh, further avenues. Uh, uh, and that's that. And in that context, if th that would be the beginning of negotiations and, and he said, if you know, uh, you could wake up on Friday or you could wake up on Monday 
and no one's position for any positive uh, outcome with Russia, Ukraine. I uh, can't tell you how many thousand points that would be worth, but it would be worth something. And um, no one's position for that. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm just saying there are a lot of things out there between earnings, between the Fed eventually breaking down because of the credit markets like BOE, like, by the way, ECB, you know, in the name of the article we wrote this week is three down, one to go. Why? Well, <laughs> the Bank of Japan were the smartest ones. They never even pretended to tighten. They're just like, we are going to cap uh, 10 yield, 10 year JGB yields at 25 basis points. We'll buy unlimited amounts. So they never even pretended to tighten. ECB pretended to tighten. They had to go back in the market to buy periphery bonds in Italy, which are now at nine year, uh, uh, nine year highs. And then shortly after, Bank of England had to capitulate and blink and start quantitative easing on the gilts. They say, oh, it's only for 30 days. It's until it has to be. And that's really what it's going to come down to. Uh, and then finally, the question is going to be the Fed when municipalities start bitching that they, they, they're going out of business because they can't finance their pensions and because they can't ro roll their debt. Uh, and the same reason they backstopped the credit mark during the pandemic uh, will be the same reason that they blink before the end of the year in our view. Uh, or sooner, or you get a good inflation print. So it's either going to be reactive, which would be negative, or proactive, which is going to imply that they've actually read a few history books and they can avoid the pain before it happens and the collateral damage and cost of a financial crisis. So, um, so that's that. Um, okay. This is from China last night. Um, uh, Brendan Ahern over at KWeb. He said, there are reports that mainland China may soon shorten the quarantine requirements for visitors, perhaps limited to visitors remaining in cities. Meanwhile, there's some speculation that the whole country will reopen in 2023 or even shortly after the party Congress. He says in August, it's October. Uh, this chatter may have contributed to a rebound in A shares overnight. People's Bank of China, central bank injected $25 billion into the financial system through reverse repo operations following a similar injection yesterday. Um, on the flip side, the central bank also implemented a 20% risk reserve ratio to help stem the fall of the remnimity versus the U.S. dollar. This makes it more expensive to sell yuan to buy dollar-based derivative contracts. The PBOC is attempting to stimulate the economy while keeping the yuan at a reasonable level versus the U.S. dollar. So while the rest of the world is tightening, China is easing as they open up after the, uh, the um, uh, National Congress next month. We should see good things to come. So that's where it's at. Um Here's an article from Reuters, uh, quote, there is, uh, there is some optimism. You'll get to see gradual loosening of some of the zero COVID restrictions that will at least provide some cyclical support to the economy. Uh, Morgan Stanley survey shows 42% of investors polled in September had increased, uh, China allocations over the past three months from 21% in May. Some fund managers think Z wants to Xi wants to quickly get back to the business of supporting the economy. Um, so, look, that could be positive. Uh, next is uh, China becomes hothouse of intrigue ahead of crucial Communist Party Congress. There were rumors swirling around all weekend that uh, Xi had been, there had been a military coup in China and Xi had been removed from office. Um, uh, it, it turned out to be disproven, but where there's smoke, Sometimes there's fire and uh, whether, you know, they had a come to Jesus meeting and said, listen, you need to uh, uh, normalize your policy after the um, uh, China National Congress or nothing ever happened. And just thousands upon thousands of people thought that that was the case. 
Uh, we don't know, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, and um, my sense is it's a clear message. The fact that there was a huge buy-in, particularly in India, et cetera, around this story tells me that there's a kind of a global consensus that uh, uh, a regime change would not be unwelcome uh, or a uh, pivot back to uh, pro-growth policies uh, uh, with the same leader uh, would also be acceptable. But uh, the no-growth policies with the same leader has not been acceptable, and uh, that that's going to change uh, either by choice or by um, uh, I would imagine uh, there will be many powers that be in China that uh, that that want to see a change if something doesn't change quickly. But it does seem that things are starting to change, which is constructive. Uh, China's central bank moves further to bolster the yuan. Uh, City, kudos to them. They upgraded Alibaba today. Uh, oh, excuse, excuse me. To she said, price is attractive. City sees potential shares to rally seventy plus percent. Uh, she took the multiple down, but she, uh, upgraded it as attractive based on valuation. Uh, it's about as, uh, useful as the paper it's written on or uh, worth as much as the paper it's written on, but better than a downgrade, I guess, right? Uh, Xi's aid likely to be the next economic czar stresses need for growth. That is very positive because that could be changing in a matter of a couple of weeks. Uh, he lift, lifting. Seen by analysts as frontrunner to succeed Liu He, he has expressed a more pro-growth stance than his predecessor. Uh, so that would be a big deal. We need a uh, more focus on growth. Positive for the economy. Friendship goes back to the 80s, etc., etc., etc. So uh, he clearly showed that he would not hesitate to expand credit to boost growth. So it would be back to the future, game on once again, and that could be as quickly as a few weeks. The two most important uh, charts in the world, in my view, is the dollar, which is actually down 2% in the last couple of days. We'll see if we get any follow through. Uh, and the 10-year treasury yield is down from 396 to 374 uh, after the BOE blinked. Uh, so both of those are moving in the right direction. We don't hold our breath, but we keep a very close eye on these on a daily uh hourly and uh, minute by minute basis. Uh, okay, so stock down, three down, one to go stock market and sentiment results. Um, in this week, in last week's note, we laid out our case as to why a walk back might be in the cards as it relates to the Fed's ultra hawkish stance. Uh, this week, we made the case in the following media appearances. We've covered those. Uh, and the key, as we covered on Yahoo, so we're not going to spend a lot of time is expect you know seasonal weakness is now starting to move into the rearview mirror. Uh, earnings expectations are super pessimistic. I think we're going to have upside beats in coming weeks. Earnings season starts in the next couple of weeks. Um, kind of the Fed uh, trip up, and Powell and company will have to walk back their hawkishness. Here's why: first reason is inflation's rolling over. So chart by chart, uh, CPI and PPI. CPI versus gasoline price, inflation projections by JPM, uh, Zillow rent index versus uh, U.S. core CPI rent component all rolling over, national rent index rolling over. Uh, you can see it in a different form. ISM manufacturing new or orders to inventories rolling over. We talked about inventories in the past, how they have to discount to move it. We saw that in Nike today. Their inventories went, I think, from 26 to 43. 
So they're going to have to dump those. Why are inventories so high? Because they double ordered and triple ordered everything because they couldn't get it during the pandemic. Now all the ships are in. Now everything's happening. And they're stuck with all this inventory, which they'll discount, which is disinflationary or deflationary. Uh, energy moderating. Core services inflation moderating. Uh, okay, positioning depressed. Wage growth versus unemployment. Uh, the Mannheim index. Here's what's interesting. If you look at the used vehicle index down 13%, it's not yet reflected in the CPI uh, calculation of it, which is a decent-sized weighting, uh, and that will be reflected in coming months. So we'll, we'll start to see that as uh, Tom Lee's talking about and uh, Marco Kalanovic. Uh, CPI, one-week market reactions versus S&P since 1970. It shows that when you had horrible reactions to CPI prints like we had a week and a half ago, uh, it was usually at or near the bottom. And I think this time in June, in September, will be no different. Uh, we also had it in June when we got this uh, summer rally. Uh, these are the Larry Williams uh, inflation overlays 1974 uh, and 1980 to current day. And you can see how they just fall absolutely fall off a cliff. And it points to literally October 1st or, uh, you know, the end of, uh, whatever it is, Yom Kippur. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, spooky voodoo pointing to the same inflection points. We'll see if any of them have any use. But in, in crazy environments like this, when fundamentals are thrown out of the window and emotions are ruling the day, you, you do, uh, it's worth paying attention to a few of these things. So those are from Larry Williams and Seth Golden on Yacht. Uh, Seth Golden is a worthwhile follow on Twitter. He puts out a lot of good stuff. Um, here's from, um, Carl Quintanilla and, uh, Lizanne Saunders. These are the container ships we've talked about. Remember there were like 120. Now there are basically six. Uh, so the supply chain stuff is rear view mirror for the most part. Uh, shipping rates are rolling over. Um, here's commodity prices and, uh, regular day things. Chicken wings are down 59%. Avocados down 63%. Lumber down 59%, actually lower than pre-pandemic. Uh, aluminum 44%, cotton 35%, box pork. So I, I have no idea what Powell's looking at, but he's not certainly not looking at the facts as of yet. Um, but that said, he also has an objective to talk down inflation expectations, which uh, five-year break-evens are now um, 237 down from 359 in March. So that's huge. Home prices rolling over, rents follow that. Core goods inflation rolling over, rents drop for first time in two years. Shipper outlook, so that'll bring down shipping costs even more. Uh, Case Shiller, housing prices dropped the most since 2011. Um, the second reason they'll have to pivot is because every 1% hike adds $285 billion a year to the deficit. In interest expense, it was easy to raise rates when GDP, debt to GDP was 30%, and you could be Paul Volcker, but uh, now it's at 122, not so much. Uh, and you have to think about it. <laughs> if you raise rates so much, who's paying that interest? Well, yeah, the taxpayers are paying that interest, but uh, we don't collect enough revenues to pay for that. So what do they have to do to pay for the 
increased interest expense from the rates they rise is print more money. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. They're actually creating more inflation because they have to print more money to service the debt at 122% debt to GDP. If they just did nothing and waiting for and waited for it to come down, they'd be in a much better situation. But it's short-termism, emotional knee-jerk. They're running the Fed like a bunch of day traders. And um, hopefully they'll wake up before it's too late. And um, uh, as we saw with the Bank of uh, England, uh, even if they're in a deep slumber, eventually the credit markets will slap them upside the face and wake them up for them. So um, credit markets will force their hand when governments, municipalities and companies can't refinance. It happened in the UK on Tuesday, ECB in June, which also sparked the summer rally, by the way. Uh, hawkish talk and guidance working as inflation break-evens at 15-month lows. We just covered that. Manager sentiment and positioning for the apocalypse. We've covered the cash levels highest since the great financial crisis lows and the pandemic lows. Uh, this is neither of those things. Uh, lowest underweight equity, lo- lowest overweight equities in history. Uh, highest recession expectations since March of 2009 and April 2020. In both cases, the market bottom was already in. Margin debt has collapsed lower than uh, 2008 and 2009 pandemic lows and the tech rec lows. So, um, uh, an AAII sentiment below pandemic lows and great financial crisis lows. So, you can't make this up. I mean, we're in nothing like those two situations, and yet people are positioned that way, which means when things flip, it's going to be more abrupt and it's going to be aggressive because no one's going to believe it. And those are the most painful ones. As painful as it feels like going down, it's going to be more painful going up because. What's going to happen is uh, people have been beaten up so much that they won't buy it until it makes new highs and they're going to miss that 39% rally that uh, Tom Lee's talking about. I'm not saying we get there by the end of the year. He is, but uh, certainly over the next year or so. And um, the other thing is like the, the, the chorus this week has been, as a matter of fact, I don't even have it. I didn't have time to print it out because I've, I had a busy day today, but someone asked, I think it was JT Investor, you know, Michael Burry and um, uh, Soros' guy. Um, well, anyway, you guys know the name. He was. They were both out today calling for the end of the world. And I'm always skeptical of people that call for a 20% correction after you've had a 20, 20 or 25% correction. Um, be... <laughs> Because it's the same people that do it all the same time. And um, that's number one. Number two, you have to keep in mind that um, global macro managers, number one, they get paid to scare the shit out of people so they can charge two and 20. That's number one. So when, you know, uh, and number two, they tend to earn their money because while they underperform and generally don't earn for 10 years at a time, uh, in the one year every 10 years that they do earn, it's usually triple digits. So when you take it annualized, you know, so they'll be like negative or like mid single digits and then they'll have a big 30 or 40 or 50, in some cases, 100% years. When you annualize that, it's like they can then say after that big hit, uh, well, annualized, we're up, you know, 20% a year for the last five years, even though it was like negative five, negative two, plus two, while the, while the S&P was up like 20% all those years. And then they get a big plus, you know, 80 or plus 100 every 10 years. Uh, and that gives them long-term performance. Uh, but nine out of 10 years, they're wrong. Uh, it's just that one year they can make up for it if they live to tell the story. 
most of the ones from the uh, great financial crisis didn't live to tell the story, but they made enough money that it didn't matter. Uh, and, the, and the few that are around now are, are making hay while the sun shines this year. And they're all positioned for it to go further. So they've got to pitch that hard on TV. Uh, and they believe that. I mean, I'm not saying like it's like some grand conspiracy. That's what they believe. That's 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 their DNA. Uh, just like Buffett's DNA, no matter how pessimistic things can get, uh, he's always generally optimistic to buy high quality businesses on sale. And he's always right. And he's not, you know, zero for 10 and then 200 in one year. He's more like 20 percent a year over time. Uh, and you can look at his drawdowns when, you know, in his first 20 years, he had some negative 30 and 50 percent uh, drawdowns, uh, uh, actually quite a few of them. Uh, but over time, you buy high quality, you win over time. So you just have to take that with a grain of salt. I mean, if you a good I'm, I'm actually I'm not going to single out any of the speakers. You all know who they are uh, in the last couple of weeks calling for bigger drawdowns. But just Google those people who are bearish after the house is already burned down and then just just Google by name by year and then just put their name in 2011, put their name in 2012, put their name in 2013, 2014, 2015. The people who are bearish this week, by and large, have been bearish every year for the last 10 years while we've had a bull run. So um, you... You have to just have your own metrics, have your own system, and see what makes sense. And if you think it makes sense to get bearish after everything's already happened, uh, not to say you can't go lower uh, when all these in when all of these positioning indicators, everything are at extremes, seen at times where you've had massive turnarounds in the market. If you think this time's different. Then have at it. But, um, I think when the, if you consider the weight of the evidence and you look at positioning, you look at the underlying economy, you look at how, uh, central banks have had to ultimately react regardless of what they said throughout history over the last 110 years. Um, uh, you look at the palpable pessimism and you, you you draw your own conclusion. So you can listen to the pessimists and maybe they'll be right and they'll get another 5% or 20% or whatever they think is coming uh, or no returns for the next two, five decades. I've heard that forever. That was a big one in 2010, by the way. Um, no returns and it was the best 10 years. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I just try to guide you through the facts that I'm looking at. You got to draw your own conclusions. I mean, whether it's uh, one guy or another guy, you, you take it all in. See what sounds logical and and draw your own conclusions. I'm going to always attract uh, the type of people who are like me, who when the house is on fire and everyone's running out, they look at the opportunity and they say, wait a second, you know, this was a $10 million building. The fire is going out. Maybe the owner will sell to me at 80% off right now because he thinks it's never coming back. And you look around and you're like, oh, wait a second, that's the Empire State Building across the street. This might be a good location. You know, after the smoke clears, uh, it may be worth 5x five years from now. And that's that's the way I look at things. And some people have the stomach for that. Most people don't. Uh, but uh, it's a formula that's worked for me and uh, and it's going to continue to work for me. Uh, and uh, and that's that. But some people will naturally identify with the chronic pessimists and um, 
you just have to make sure that you follow them in the right year when they make when they make 100% because not the other nine years they're going to be negative uh, or barely positive when everyone else is doing extremely well. So I'd rather uh, uh, compound at a regular rate than um, you know have a once in a 10 year pop. So uh, which which central banks will blink next? So we we covered this. Bank of England did it. You can pull up the articles here. Authorities in Indonesia, Japan, China, and India are stepping to defend their currencies. Uh, the Fed is next. Just next, just yesterday, Charles Evans said he's feeling apprehensive about the U.S. central bank raising interest rates too quickly. You'll start to see more of those as there's more volatility. Uh, the Fed is hiking further and faster than at any time in modern history. They do this until it breaks. What breaks, uh, first thing you see is the high-yield credit market. So let's see how those are doing. And there you go. You got a double bottom. Uh, you got them near the last time they had to step in and backstop the corporate credit market, which was the pandemic low. So we're we're not quite there yet, but um, we are doing a we're at a level where they should they should be sweating some bullets and uh, thinking about how they're going to pivot. The way that I would do it is very simple. You could save face and simply say. Uh, in no uncertain terms, we've just done three emergency hikes, uh, unprecedented, you know, out of uh, 88 hikes since 1983, 75 of them have been below 50 basis points. We just did 375 in a row. Uh, we want to see the data come in over the next couple of months. It's fully our intention to do another 150 basis points to get to four, whatever magical number they came up with, 4.6. Uh, but... If the data drops in the next couple of months meaningfully, we will take a wait and see approach. If it doesn't, uh, we will immediately uh, finish up that 150 basis points and and just give themselves some optionality versus the autopilot stuff that's gotten them in trouble over and over and over again, like 2018 all over, deja vu all over again. You would think people learn from their mistakes, but um, some do, some don't. Um, okay, some technical indicators. We've covered all this sentiment stuff. This is the high yield credit. This is the number one, as important as the U, the uh, dollar and the uh, 10 year yield is. Uh, keep your eye on this. This is what usually causes the Fed to pivot. Uh, and that's when they had to formally backstop the credit markets during the pandemic lows. Uh, and that, and the market just took off after that. Um, XBI, most oversold ever. That's from ISI. Biotech update. So we had this 57% move off the May lows and now it's consolidating before its next move higher. You can see the longer term view. Uh, it does that bottoming, then you get three months and then you get a red month like we're having here to just shake shake people out. And then it's just a slow grind higher until you make new highs. And, uh, you know, that, that's another 100% on the XBI, more if you have different instruments. Uh, and uh, we think that's going to be a great opportunity. By the way, this... Uh, was up 140% off the lows uh, in two years during the last tightening cycle when they took the Fed funds rate to zero from zero to 225 or 250 uh, in two years. So uh, what were the two catalysts we covered months ago? Um, major deal progress, which we've had. It's slowed a little bit within the last month with rates going up, but there's still some smaller deals getting done. One uh, billion dollar deal got done this month. Uh, but the big one is the major drug progress. The Biogen news this week is huge uh, regarding Alzheimer's. The 27% efficacy means more likely than not uh, Medicare will cover it. Uh, and uh, if that's the case, 
you're going to just see all kinds of money go back into drug development, into this space, uh, into Alzheimer's, and it's going to be game on for biotech and speculative drugs that are getting approved and worth a windfall. In this case, I think $40 billion estimate or something to that effect. Um, Alibaba update. Again, you know, if you step back, like, you know, all the noise in biotech, and when you look at it, it's really just four bars, and it's actually moving in the right direction, and it feels like death. It's it's unbelievable how the day-to-day can throw you off. Baba, I mean, this thing, you know, day-to-day could, could drive you to a mental asylum. But if you step back and you look at it, this is doing exactly what it does at every major bottom. It sucks people in with a big abrupt move up, like we saw from 73 to 125. Here it did 57 to 86. And then guess what? It went back to retest the 57. It got down to 59.25. And then it went up 300% to $211 uh, within a year and a half. Uh, same thing here. It uh, got down to, uh, uh, looks like 140, went up to 195, collapsed down to retest around 151. And then it doubled within about a year, just over a year from 150 to 319, so 100 and something percent. Uh, and then here we are, 73. It shoots up to 125, back to retest around 80. Uh, if you remember, actually, a couple months ago, I said, you know, I hope we don't have to do this, but more likely than not, they're going to do this to us just to get all the people that got sucked in at 125 back to 80. And then we'll get a catalyst, whether it's the China National Congress or this auditing thing. The auditing thing takes about... Uh, eight to 10 weeks. I did play golf with a partner from uh, one of the major accounting firms. And he said, you know, they'll drag it on a little bit so they could, they could uh, collect uh, massive fees. So uh, maybe that won't be the first catalyst, but um, it seems to be that it's got to get done by the end of the year. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, China Airlines finalizes landmark order for up to 24 Boeing 787 Dreamliners. This doesn't happen without the governor's, uh, without the government's blessing. So maybe the U.S. and China relations are thawing a little bit, either by necessity or by des- des- uh, desperation. Uh, what are the U.S. audit regulator inspectors doing in Hong Kong? This is from SCMP. And they're saying here, one thing is certain, William said, by the end of this year, the PCAOB will make determinations whether the PRC authorities have allowed us to inspect and investigate completely or if they have continued to obstruct. Um, and you can read that full article here. And then Cooper Standard, um, you know, on the one hand, you had this 240% move off the lows after they reported earnings, cash flow positive. Now you're consolidating. It feels like, oh my God, it it's... It's, you know, everyone forgets how it went from 353 to 1159. But, uh, now that it's down to $6, I think it was down to $6 today because, uh, CarMax reported used cars. The reason used cars are down, um, is because supply is coming on, which was a part of our thesis because the semiconductors are coming in. So the new car supply can get out. So the demand for used cars. So it's like the thesis is playing out. But like we've continued to say, just like this fake out the last time they had this in the middle of the pandemic before the semiconductor shortage, you know, bottomed at six, 664, shot to 18, and then they took out half that bar, probably down to from 18 down to like 11 before they, you know, to get all the people that jumped in at 18, shake them out, get all the people that jumped in at 11, shake them out. They'll probably take it down back down to six or five. Well, they did six today, so it's probably down there. 
And then in the coming months, it'll just rip their faces off upward, whether it's earnings as the catalyst, uh, which could very well be, or uh, they get the refinancing done. But if you look at the liquidity, I was thinking about this last night. I think about it every night. Uh, $400 million, uh, uh, $200 on the ABL, $200 in cash. They don't even need to refinance. If they do the, if they do the 40 or 50 million of EBITDA, plus they do a couple, they're getting some more tax money back, plus they do a couple more sale leasebacks, they could just pay the damn thing off and not even refinance it at all and just do it out of cash. Uh, so everyone's worried about the refi, uh, which may not even need it. And, uh, and they've got over a year to do it. So my sense is they'll probably do it anyway because they don't want to draw down on all their cash and, and credit lines. But, they actually don't need to. So there are a lot of outs here, and that's very important whether you're uh, uh, investing on a catalyst or you're playing poker, you're always looking for outs, and um, and that's one of them. So the refinancing would just get a, get this huge spike up more quickly, uh, and um, uh, but but you know uh, there there are, there are many ways to win with this one, and uh, and we we continue to watch it closely. AII sentiment twenty percent bullish. Again, these are pandemic levels. And great financial crisis levels. Uh, fear and greed down to 19 is probably a lot lower. Uh, my guess is it closed at 15 today. I uh, haven't had time to look at it. And NAAIM, this is hysterical. Uh, look how low that got. 12.61. It was 10.65 in the midst of the pandemic. This is like unbelievable. The amount of chasing that's going to be required is going to look exactly like this. Any bit of good news and it's just going to keep going and no one's going to be able to catch it. Uh, and that's what's going to happen. And here's what blows my mind. Carter put out some earnings. Uh, we did the top 30 weights of the retail, which is mind-boggling to me. They actually went up, not only for this year, but for next year. The top 30 weights, weights earnings estimates. So you get all these guys on TV, estimates are coming down 20% this quarter, like they said last quarter. Uh, earnings are actually up in the last 60 days for retail. For retail, the consumer, retail, up 46 basis points for this year, uh, for, for this, um, for this year and, uh, 55 basis, a uh, half a percent for next year. Uh, that's mind boggling to me. I thought those would be down three or 4%. Even transports with FedEx crapping the bed, uh, these earnings this year are up 62, uh, one half of 1% in the last 60 days, the top 30 weight transports. Uh, and they're down 2.74 for next year. And that includes FedEx guidance. That, that's that's mind-boggling. It's not to say they won't come down more. But the fact that they're not budging is in line with what I'm saying about nominal. People are forgetting about price increases. Even if in real terms they're doing less units, they're charging a lot more per unit. And that's why earnings can continue to stay stable, even though we've had a recession in the first half of this year in Q1 and Q2 of negative GDP growth. And Q3 was probably negative also. And after the election on November 9th, they'll have to officially declare that we already had the recession. People will start to go, huh, is this like April of 2020 when I was really negative and the market had already bottomed in March? Is this like March of 2009 when I was really fearing a recession and then a few months later after the market was up 100%, I realized the recession was already in the rearview mirror? Hmm. So let's see what happens. Uh, no one has a, a monopoly on being right on any of this stuff. But, you know, if you've been through enough cycles and you've seen the sentiment and studied and, and, and spent a lot of time on that and positioning, uh, it can give you an edge over time. 
Uh, bottoms up estimates are still at 240-231. So everyone called for uh, 20% and you've gotten 3%. So from uh, down from 250 peak to 242. Uh, and we'll see what guidance looks like in coming weeks. Now, tomorrow, we've got some important numbers. They are backward looking, but they are important. Uh, core PCE is the Fed's favored number. It's expected to be up 4.7% year on year. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get lucky uh, and get something that comes in lighter than that. But if not, we've got the jobs report next week. It's interesting. They've got one, two, three Fed speakers right at, right at that data point uh, or right after that data point. Let's see. One, two, three. Four, four Fed speakers after that. Then you got consumer sentiment and everything else. So tomorrow should be an interesting day. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, but wanted to get you my latest thoughts. Hope you found that helpful. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.